And the recruiters and the people at these companies started saying like, if you walk into one of these interviews and you use one of these frameworks we know comes out of this book, we're gonna be like, we're gonna like ding you immediately because we know you're not thinking about the question we gave you. You're just being sort of lazy. Welcome to an episode of Roadmap, a podcast for aspiring product managers that wish to break into the industry. I'm Tom Shu, a student at Cal Berkeley and your host. Today we have Kenton with us, who is the founder of Rocket Blocks, a company that helps candidates land great jobs. First of all, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, happy to be here. Just as a start, can you give our audience a brief introduction of yourself and your background? Yeah, of course. So my career to date has been a mix of product management and just a tiny bit of consulting, but mostly product management. I started my career at Google back in 2006. I worked on a variety of different initiatives at the uh, the AdWords platform, the sort of online advertising uh, behemoth that it's become these days. It was, it was a lot smaller back then. And then I went to business school at Dartmouth. Uh, when I was at business school, I did an internship at the Boston Consulting Group out in San Francisco. Had a really good experience there, enjoyed it a lot, but realized pretty quickly that I needed a role that was more operational than consulting. It was, it was a little too strategic all the time for me. And so I went back into product management and I worked at Zynga, worked on uh, Zynga Mobile Poker there and ended up leading the Mobile Poker franchise for a handful of years. And then went over to a startup called Flurry, which was mobile analytics and mobile advertising. And I ran the uh, advertising teams at Flurry. And Flurry got acquired in uh, late 2014 by Yahoo as Marissa Mayer was trying to sort of re, re, reinvigorate Yahoo and, and rebuild that company. And so we joined as part of that and I helped run uh, some of the advertising teams there for a while. And then I started my own company, Rocketblocks, which as you mentioned is an online platform that helps candidates prepare for interviews. And we handle a bunch of different interview verticals. So for folks going into product management, product marketing, strategy and biz ops at any of the, the tech firms, um, we help people prepare for those roles and then consulting as well. And so that's a little bit about my background. I noticed that you worked at these, you know, all these great companies early in your career and even been through an acquisition with Yahoo, right? So what made you uh, decide to create your original job and start this Rocketblocks company? Well, uh, it's a good question. A few things. One, I had always been interested in, in running my own company at some point. This is something I'd started thinking about uh you know, probably as early as undergrad when I was at UVA. So it had always been something in the back of my mind, but it, it also seemed like a scary thing to do and intimidating. And, you know, how can you like start your own company and figure out how to, you know, do everything, right? Like when you're an employee at a company, you get to sort of focus and specialize on a particular role that they've hired you for. So it was a little bit daunting, but it was something that was always in the back of my mind. And when I left Google to go to business school, that was one of the big drivers was I felt like I'd gotten a ton of great experience. Like how do you sort of build launch and, and market products? But I still didn't feel like I knew about like the financing side of a business and, you know, like the nuts and bolts of accounting and other things that matter as you build and scale a business. And so business school was appealing for that reason. And as I got further along in my career, I think when we got to the point when I was at Flurry and it got acquired and I, I spent some time at Yahoo, like integrating our teams and running some teams there, it just felt like a good point to try and do the entrepreneurial thing after I'd had a lot of time to sort of do the big company and medium sized startup thing. And what made you come up with this idea to build a company that, that helped people land different jobs? 
Yeah. So when I was in business school, my second year at Dartmouth, I spent a lot of time just helping a bunch of my friends prepare for their interviews. Uh, so uh, I had like my offer pretty early and decided I was going to join Zynga after school in product management and was just, you know, spending time helping friends do mock interviews, all sorts of stuff like that. And I noticed that I was seeing a lot of the similar problems just pop up. Like I knew that these were really smart people because I'd been in class with them. I was friends with a lot of them, uh, but they were struggling with some of the same issues just over and over again. And I found myself recommending uh, a common set of things that really resonated with, with people. But the next question was sort of always, well, like, how do I do that? Or like, where do I get that sort of like, prep or resources to help me prepare in that way. And that was where I didn't really have a good answer. And the more I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, you know, this is an interesting thing. Like there's a lot of need and demand for this and it. Uh, so it's potentially there's a business there. And also, you know, I think importantly, anytime you think about starting your own company, it's worth making sure that you actually have some sort of interest or belief or sort of passion in in that space and i naturally enjoyed like sitting down and helping people prep for interviews i thought it was an interesting exercise uh, it was intellectually interesting it was sort of satisfying to see someone you know who, who maybe like struggled with certain things like prep and get better and better and then like land a job they're really excited about so it feels like uh, a good endeavor to spend your time on were there any memorable challenges in the early days? Uh, yeah, <laughs> there were lots of memorable challenges. One thing that I remember, you know, very well is I am not a engineer by training. So I graduated from University of Virginia. I was an economics and history double major. I've always enjoyed like coding and sort of had dabbled in stuff. Like I'd like taught myself HTML in high school. I took AP computer science the very first year I high school taught it, which was like useful, actually like not necessarily the most educational experience because it turned out the teacher didn't even really know C++, which is what AP computer science was taught in back then, at least it's probably changed now. Um, but so because like I didn't have a formal engineering background when I went to actually, you know, like stand up rocket blocks and like get it running in servers, which I was choosing to run it in AWS at the time. And this was 2011 when we first launched the, the, the V1. Like there was just no good documentation on AWS. Like it was really hard to navigate. And so someone that like wasn't a formally trained engineer had never really like spent any time in Linux, like trying to figure this out was like crazy. And so I got a lot of help from friends and like two things that were particularly helpful. Uh, one was I, have, I had a friend from Google that had gone through Y Combinator and I reached out to him for help and he sent me this document that like Y Combinator had created for their companies, which was like how to get like stand your product up on AWS because like there wasn't good documentation externally. So like literally I went through this doc like line by line and that got me like 80% of the way there. But I ran into like some, some additional problems that needed more like custom troubleshooting. And I pinged another friend from Google that was one of the... Um, I think he worked on Google Maps at the time. Uh, and he sat down with me and we spent like a day like sitting in a conference room at the Google San Francisco office on a Saturday. And he like he was like trying to figure out as well. And he was like, I don't know, I've never worked with AWS. This is like really messy. But like he ended up figuring it out and he helped me get live the day before I started my full-time job at Zynga. Um, but that was like 
you know, it was very much like a real struggle. I didn't feel a hundred percent equipped to like do it myself. And I was lucky that I, I had a few people that could help me. Uh, and Chris, that engineer that, that spent time with me all day on that Saturday before we launched, he actually, I think he's still there. He went on to be the CTO at Lyft. Um, so like, just like really fortunate that I had, you know, someone like Chris that was like nice enough to like spend time and like help troubleshoot with me. That's great. That's great. Um, before we move on to the interview stuff, um, can you tell us more about Rocketbox and then some of its impacts or achievements? Yeah, of course. So uh, mentioned it earlier, high level is it's an online platform that helps candidates prepare for interviews. Over the years, we've helped uh, at this point as, you know, upwards of hundreds of thousands of people prepare for interviews. Um, which is awesome. We have partnerships with a lot of the leading institutions out there. Um, actually, your own uh, own institution, Berkeley, uh, the business school is a partner of ours, as well as a bunch of other leading schools like Stanford um, and uh, schools in, in Europe, as well as Asia. There's a school, um, I think it's in Shanghai called, uh, I'm going to butcher the name, but Sing, Singhua University is a partner of ours. Um, so it's been really fun to see that not only the sort of Western focus, but as we've expanded and, and gotten traction in Europe and Asia as well. Um, so jumping right into the uh, interview stuff, uh, for aspiring product managers, uh, what's the best way to start preparing for interviews? Should people start by reading books or going straight to, to mock interviews once they kind of like memorize the frameworks? So my approach and, and the way I think about this is that preparing for for interviews, product management included, there's, there's like three steps. Like I have a framework for preparing for interviews, which the way I would think about it is, is step one is context. You need to understand the context around the interviews and, and what matters. The second is then you need to do skill building exercises or practice to get good at the particular skills that these companies are going to test you on. And then the third is you need to get good at demonstrating all of those skills in a real interview environment. So mock interviews. So the way I think about it is there's context, there's skill building and mock interviews. And when you're just starting out in the process, I think the right place to start is context. And what I mean by context is, you know, product management interview and a product management interview cycle has a very particular feel to it. It's going to feel a little bit different than a consulting interview. It's going to feel different than maybe, you know, an average interview at a CPG firm or something like that. So what you want to do, the first thing you want to do is understand, like, what do these interviews feel like? Like, what, you know, maybe watch a mock interview video online, maybe read one of the books out there about product management interview videos and just get accustomed to, like, what type of questions come up? What are the things that matter? You know, it's like, what is product sense? What is this thing that supposedly I'm going to be tested on? What is, um, you know, product execution? What does that mean? What am I what am I expected to do in that type of interview? So getting that context. Um, and understanding just like, what are these interviews like? What skills do they care about? Why do they care about them? Uh, and there's a lot of good content out there. One of the things that Rocketblocks has put together are these getting started guides, which are specifically designed to sort of help with this particular challenge of like, just teach me a little bit about this career path and this interview process, what it looks like, what matters, et cetera. But that's the first step is like, spend some time understanding the context. I think it's really hard to do anything in life well if you don't understand the context first. So investing a little bit of time to understand that context is important. Once you've done that, I think you wanna start building your skill sets in different areas. So if you think about product management interviews, every company has their own different flavor of what they care about, but there are 
a couple of core skill sets that just come up over and over and over again, like every company is looking for them. And so things like, you know, product sense, product design skills, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, all these companies care about that big unicorns, et cetera. Uh, second, you know, key bucket, like analytics, metrics driven thinking, or what Facebook often calls like product execution, all the companies, they, they want to see that you have those skills. Uh, many of them want to see that you've got some level of technical fluency so that you are going to be competent and sort of capable enough working with engineers. The, the level of technical fluency that each, in, each company will want varies a little bit, but every company cares about it to some degree. Obviously, they want to know that you're going to be like a great communicator, that you've got um, leadership skills. Uh, so there's like a handful of these skill sets, right? And the second key step in this process for me is starting to build those skills. So figuring out like, where am I strongest? Where am I weakest? And starting to go through the process of, you know, teaching yourself, like, how, how do I think about this issue? How, how can I build my products and skills? How can I sharpen them? So for example, like if you're struggling with, uh, let's say you're struggling with product sense, you're like, hey, like I know I'm going to get these questions or like, hey, how would you think about like building a feature for X or doing this, that type of stuff? Well, if, if you struggle answering that type of stuff on the fly, start, you know, forcing yourself to go through the motions of practicing that type of stuff every day. Like give yourself one product sense question every day and like really force yourself to think about how you would answer it. Like how would you structure your response? What would your key arguments or buckets that you would talk about in the interview be? How would you sort of flesh them out? That type of thing. Um, and, you know, you don't need to sit down and do a mock interview for that. In fact, in many, in many cases, like a mock interview will often sort of test you on a variety of different skills all at the same time. So it may not even be the best way if like you're struggling with a particular aspect, it may not be the best way to actually practice or the most efficient way. So really doing like targeted practice is to me like the second core bucket. And I think the analogy here that is you know, easy for a lot of folks to understand is like pick, you know, whatever your favorite sport is. Let's say it's basketball. Um, you know, someone like Steph Curry, who's, uh, I don't know if he's actually the best basketball player in the world, but he's probably pretty close, right? He's at, he's at the top list, like he's in the top five. If you think about how does Steph Curry practice for his basketball games, he doesn't just play a bunch of scrimmages. And the equivalent in preparing for an interview would just be like doing like a million mock interviews over and over again. But if you look at how someone like Steph Curry prepares, he spends some time like practicing uh, three pointers and he spends some time practicing like dribbling and head fakes. And he spends some time probably just doing running to like build up his endurance. So there's all these different micro skills that he's doing targeted practice in to make sure that when he goes and does do, you know, a scrimmage or eventually walks into a game that he's going to be in top form. And it's the exact same philosophy that matters a lot in preparing for interviews. So that skill building bucket is really important. That That is like, you know, the core of what Rocketbox is designed to do is help people go through those motions and practice those particular skills. Um, and then the third part is mock interviews. Of course, at some point, you've got to sit down and you've got to actually like practice your skills live and see if you can demonstrate them in an interview environment. And Really, I think the way this, this framework plays out is you spend some time up front learning the context, and then you spend some time building skills, and then it's a loop between skills and mock interview. You like build the skills, you know, go check in, depending on how much time you have, like every couple days, like with a mock interview, be like, okay, I did a mock, uh, you know, my product sense skills are getting better. 
my product execution stuff is really good. I'm still a little rusty on technical, so I'm going like, to go you know, learn more about the technical issues I'm struggling with. I'm going to practice answering some more technical questions, do that skill building stuff, and then go back to do a mock. And then it's just like this loop that sort of you iterate over as much as possible before you walk into a real interview. And that's, again, it's like the same thing that like Steph Curry would do or you know, Serena Williams practicing for Wimbledon or something like that. There are just so many different types of, of questions, right? Um, so like which kind of questions should I start in the beginning? Like the ones that I'm kind of familiar with, like the behavioral questions or the ones that I'm the least confident about? So at a high level, you could structure the type of prep that you need to do. There's like the, the what I'll call like the case type questions, like a product sense case or something testing your technical ability. And then there's behaviorals. And, and those are, they're pretty different, right? Because behaviorals like tell me about a time X. It's, it's you demonstrating through a story of your past, how you've got these skills versus the other is demonstrating the skills live in a hypothetical scenario. So I think from a preparation standpoint, it makes sense to separate them out and you probably want a parallel track, but how you're going to prepare for each is going to be different. On the behavioral standpoint, I think what, you know, what I often recommend is you know, sit down, do an exercise, pull out your resume, pull up your LinkedIn, anything else you've got that sort of describes your own career to date and get out some post-it notes and just write down, you know, in very simple language, like your top 10 career highlights to date. Things like, you know, say like, I did X and it achieved Y results and like strip out all the company names and all the details, just as, as simple language as you can. Write those down on post-it notes and then try and rank them and understand like which of these is, is the most compelling and interesting. And if you have a hard time being objective about it, because you may know like I did X at Google and like Google has a great brand. So like it might be hard to be like, well, that's not the best story. But show those like post-it notes without the company affiliations to like some friends that don't know and say like which of these is the most intriguing, compelling, which do you want to hear about? That'll give you a good sense of like, okay, these are some of like the most interesting like career highlights I have. And then you want to start figuring out, okay, what's like all the details of that story and how do I get good at telling that story? So that when someone asks me a you know question in an interview, that's like, tell me about a time you navigated a uh, conflict with, you know, one of your colleagues and how did you resolve it? You can say, okay, like I'm going to use story A, which I know is a good story. And there is like a moment where there was a conflict between me and a colleague there. So I'm going to use that and frame it and answer that. So that's, that's like the process I would go through for preparing for behaviorals. And then for all of the sort of case stuff, like light case stuff, um, it's similar, but I think you want to understand, okay, which of these like skill buckets does the companies I'm interviewing really care about? In most cases, again, like I was saying earlier, there's going to be some common ones that every company cares about. And then I would start just hitting, hitting the practice hard on those. So like, if I really like, let's say I'm a CS student, for example, undergrad, if that's the case, especially if I'm at like Berkeley and I'm like eeks or something, right? Like I'm probably going to be pretty confident in, you know, someone asking me like, Hey, what's, what's an API? Like, how does it work? Or, you know, how does the internet work? Like, I'm probably going to that type of question. I probably should be able to handle pretty well, but maybe like a product sense question that's, you know, not just like purely a technical concept. Those are tougher for me. So I, I would try and do some honest reflection around which of these skills am I better or worse at, and then start dedicating 20, 30 minutes a day to practicing some of those questions and trying to get better. 
Um, and I think it's really helpful to, you know, like get a particular question, try answering it, really force yourself to go through the motions of answering it and then compare it to, you know, someone or some sort of rubric that shows you here's what a good answer looks like. And, you know, if you have a friend that's like already a PM at some, you know, company, especially one that you're interested in, you could ask him or her and they, they'd be able to give you an answer. And that's, that's one way to do it. Um, there's resources out there like rocket blocks that will help give you, you know, good answers to that type of stuff, but go through that motion. I think that's the other thing you want to do on the, on the case stuff. Great. So speaking of the, the case stuff, um, there are so many frameworks out there. Um, what's the best way to find the one that you like the most? You know, I know some people just kind of develop their own framework and then use it. Yeah. So I think that the frameworks that are out there, are often very helpful for acting as a jumping off point for answering these questions. So, you know, if you take something like circles, right, which is out there for sort of product design type questions, if you have no idea what a product design question is, and you're starting to like try and answer them for the first time, something like circles or any of these other frameworks, they act as like training wheels, right? When you're riding a bike, it gives you some sort of, you know, path to follow, which is defined, and then you can sort of like fill in the details, which could be really, really helpful. The challenge is once you, once you get past that initial learning phase, circles or any framework in this case may not be the best framework to apply to any particular question, right? Every question that's going to be asked is going to have its own contours. It's going to be slightly different. It's probably not going to neatly fit into one of the existing frameworks. And so I think as you're practicing, one of the things you wanna do is, even if you start by using some of the canned frameworks off the shelf, you want to get to a point where you move towards sort of developing your own way of thinking about, okay, for like a product sense question, you know, generally here's a couple of the big buckets of things that I'm gonna think about, and that's good. But then the last step where I think like, people get really good and, and when we get to this point, this is where you're likely to start like getting offers is you hear a question and you can take some, you know, maybe baseline framework you've created for yourself about how to approach product sense question, but then tailor it on the fly for the particular question that someone's given you. Because again, like the contours of a particular question could be a little bit different and when you're actually in the interview, if if you just use something that you've memorized, there's chances are like you might, like the interviewers gonna be like, oh, that's weird. Like that part of the framework doesn't, it doesn't really apply to like this question I asked. Like why, why are they talking about this? Or why did they mention that? Versus if you take what you've got in your head and then say, okay, like, you know, I've got this framework I generally use as like six big buckets, but like based off the question that, you know, Sally just asked me, I think four of those are really relevant. And then there's this like seventh bucket I never usually think of, but given this question, it's, I'm going to pull it in because I think it's like really important to discuss. And that's when I think when you get to that point where you can do that, that's where you start like seeing a lot of success in it. The other thing is like, it will feel more natural, right? Like if you've memorized a framework and you get into an interview and you start sort of regurgitating it, it, it the reality is like, it, it's usually pretty obvious to the interviewers as well. And you know, in the product management world, like product management is just a newer career path. Like, yes, the role has been around for 20, maybe, maybe 30 years at this point, but it like the, 
the number of product manager roles is significantly higher today than it was even like five years ago. And that's because like software has become increasingly important to every industry. So it makes sense. But because the, the interview process is, you know, companies are still figuring out how to optimize and get better at like consistently interviewing PMs, et cetera. It's not at the same point that say like the consulting case interview processes where it's like really dialed in like these firms like McKinsey, BCG, they've been running case interviews for like 40 years now. They've got it like down to a science and it's not the same in, in the, in the PM world, but what's happened in the consulting world is because the company's got the interview process down to a science people would start memorizing all these frameworks, right? This was, this was like a, like, and like maybe about 10 years ago, it sort of came to a head where like there were a couple books out there that had frameworks in them and people would just like memorize like the eight, there was one book in particular, people just memorize the eight frameworks in that book and they'd walk into an interview and they'd get a question and they'd jam it into one of those eight frameworks and the recruiters and the people at these companies started saying like, if you walk into one of these interviews and you use one of these frameworks we know comes out of this book, we're going to be like, we're going to like ding you immediately because we know you're not thinking about the question we gave you. You're just being sort of lazy. And I think what's happening in the product management world is we're not quite there yet, but we're getting to the point where I've heard PMs at like Facebook and places say like, if you walk in here and use circles, like we're, you know, we're not going to be impressed. Like we want you to really think about the question we asked you not just say, oh, it's a product design interview, so I'll just use circles. After, you know, coaching so many aspiring product managers, um, what are some, what, what are the top mistakes that people would make, especially in the beginning? So one of the big mistakes is what we were just sort of talking about is like being overly re- reliant on like a handful of memorized frameworks and then really forcing your interview into those when it, when it doesn't really fit. So that's the first thing. But since we've already talked about that, let's, let's skip past it. I think the other thing that you often see, especially with folks trying to break into product management that don't come from a technical background is, you know, there's a lot of nervousness about like, how do I prove that I'm like technical enough or, you know, should I go learn how to code so that I can pass this interview? And if you think about that, like the reality is like, if you're not a CS major, you haven't like self-taught yourself to code for whatever other reason if you've got even like three months to prepare for a PM interview and you're not technical, like learning how to code, like what can you do in three months? Like you can maybe get pretty proficient in like a single language. Like you could teach yourself JavaScript, but the reality is like being able to write some basic JavaScript and like save some variables and do some interactions isn't like useful as a PM. Like you are not really going to do that on the job. And that's not the type of stuff that they're going to like ask you in an interview anyways. Like, you know, like, how do you save a variable in JavaScript or something like that, you know? Um, so I think there's an over, like, people think they need to do something there, and then they overly focus on it, whereas the, and the mistake is, like, they should spend time highlighting where they are really strong and unique. So if you're not a technical person, don't try and go in there and pitch yourself as a technical person, because, like, it's, it's not going to work. But like maybe your maybe your unique talent or something that you bring to the product management world that's really important is like you've you've done a lot of entrepreneurial things where you've taken something from an idea to an actual product and like that's super important in the product that that like that in a nutshell is the job of product manager like take something from idea to live product that's in a customer's hands and so if you can 
point to a bunch of things and say like, hey, I'm really good at this process and I have evidence I can point to on my resume where I've done this in a bunch of different ways and lean into that. So lean into some of your strengths versus trying to like puff yourself up as something you're not. And and it most often happens in the technical stuff where people are like, oh, should I like learn how to code for this interview? I'm like, no, don't bother. There's much more like valuable things you can do to play up what you're really naturally good at. Like let your engineers code. Um, so that's, that's something else that comes up is like, you know, play to your strengths. Don't try and like overly, don't try and like hack your way through, like, you know, um, becoming super technical because it, it, it's tough to do for just for like the process of going through an interview, say, um, other top mistakes that people make framework memorization and, uh, well, the, so the other thing from a prep standpoint that I'll say, and I alluded to this earlier, but I think a lot of people will, they will just jump into doing mock interviews. It's like, hey, I've got, I've got interviews coming up. Like I should just do a bunch of different mocks. But oftentimes I think what they, they find out quickly is that one, the quality of the mock interview you do can vary greatly depending on how good your partner is. Um, how much they know, how well they do delivering the question and really like testing you and probing you on your answers. And then the quality of feedback they give you. Because often the struggle is like when you're preparing, you may not have other like really qualified PMs to be giving you mock interviews. And so you can spend a lot of time going through mock interviews. Like it's time intensive, right? Like you're going to sit down, they're going to give you a mock interview. You're probably going to give them a mock interview. Then you're going to do feedback. That's like an hour and a half of time probably. And so it may not be the most efficient way to practice. And so that's really why I, I recommend people thinking about, think about those skills that matter. Think about how you stack up on each of them and then make sure you're doing targeted, efficient practice against those skills versus just saying like, okay, my plan is I'm going to do a hundred mock interviews. And if I do that, that means, you know, it's like, it's like a focusing on quantity versus quality issue. You, you may have done a lot of prep, but the quality of your prep may not actually be very good. And that's not the best way to sort of, you know, get you to have success. Yeah. So, so on average, how many uh, mock interviews should people do? Always tough to answer these type of questions because I don't think there's like any true average. But I think that if you're going into these interviews, having at least like 10 mock interviews is, is sort of helpful because at that point, you know, especially if you've done them with a handful of different people, you see sort of different styles, how different people ask you the questions, what they probe on, what they follow up on. Different people are also going to have different feedback for you, which is good because that's the same thing in the real world. You know, some people probably benefit from doing way more than 10. So like, I'm sure there's people at 20, you know, 30, 40, 50, where they're still getting a lot of value out of it. So everyone's going to be a lot of, a lot different, but I think at least like 10 is going to give you some of the experience of seeing how you could get variance in the process and dealing with that. Once you're like, you know, people doing like hundred or more, that's the part where I sort of get skeptical about, are you getting a lot of value out of those incremental ones? Unless they're with like, you know, someone that's like a PM at your target company and then that, that he or she is really giving you, you know, good experience. that's going to sort of mirror what that company really cares about and can give you really good feedback. Um, so we talked about some of the top mistakes. Um, is there anything that people tend to do well naturally, if there's any? Um, that's a good question. It's tough because everyone brings different strengths to it. But I think 
I think one thing that some people do really well naturally is you can see that they actually really enjoy talking about this stuff. And often where that can come through is, you know, part of the fun thing about being a product manager is thinking about the product vision and what are we going to build and like all this cool stuff. Right. And like the roadmap and that type of stuff. And so some people, when they're, you know, discussing product sense, product design questions for that reason, that, that excitement and enthusiasm will really come through because it's, it's, Fun. It's like the fun part of the job, right? Like we all know like the, the bug triaging and the like preparing a deck to like report up some metrics through your manager for like the fifth time, you know, this month. That's like less fun for pretty much everyone. Um, so some people just naturally, I think, like let their enthusiasm show through in the interviews. And that's a really good thing to do. And I think for the folks where they struggle to like show that enthusiasm, that's especially where I think mock interviews can help a lot because usually if you're struggling to show that enthusiasm and you truly are interested in the job and the role, what's preventing that enthusiasm from coming through is usually like anxiety and nerves about the interview and you sort of get like in a bad mode and then you just like feel clunky in an interview. So mock interviews, like just going through the process and getting comfortable with, okay, I'm going to walk into this room. Someone's going to ask me this question like, don't freeze, like, you know, and the more you do it, the easier it gets, right? It's like anything, the more you practice. Um, and that's the same reason why I think just like, you know, like doing daily practice, I'm like, okay, give myself a product sense question every morning, if that's what I'm struggling with, and forcing myself to answer it can really help. Well, we briefly mentioned about like books earlier. Um, but which one should be the first read? Because I've gotten comments that, you know, saying that the cracking the PM interview is almost outdated since the <laughs> process has changed so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the process has changed. The process does change and it is evolving. I think that the, the books on PM interviews that just like throw out a handful of questions and then show you how someone approached them can be useful. So I think like some of Lewis Lynn's early books do that. It's just like, hey, here's a question and here's like a potential answer to that question. So it just be useful to see like how someone approaches it. You know, like I had a friend the other day that's um, a really, really good PM, like an incredibly accomplished PM, but she's rarely gone through the interview process in her life because she has been, she was at one company for like a decade. And she was going through the interview process at one of these big tech companies. And she didn't know that like a product sense question was like, it was like a hypothetical exercise. Like she never had that type of thing before in an interview. And so someone asked her like, how would you design um, like a, like a sports based thing for like Facebook or something. And she spent the first like five or 10 minutes telling, trying to tell the person like, I don't like sports. I would never think about that. I would never work on that. I would never design that. And the interviewer was like, no, 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 I don't, I don't care that you don't like, I'm just asking you to like go through the exercise. And she was like, oh, you just want me to think about it, even if I wouldn't do that. And he was like, yeah. So, you know, just understand, again, it's like the context building stuff that I was talking. So I think, I think that stuff can be good. I think the other thing, and it's, it's a little bit of a pivot from your initial question, and I can, I can send you a link where I've collected some of these things together, but I actually think there's a lot of good blog posts about aspects of product management out there that can be more informative about getting a window into what this world is actually like and what the challenges that you wrestle with on the job are. And so I think rather than reading um, some of the books that are out there that might, might may or might, may not be outdated is just reading about like what 
PM practitioners are going through and what they're sharing, that's that type of stuff is really informative because that's the, again, that's the context that's going to drive what they ask you in an interview. So for example, there's like, um, there's a really good post out there and I can send the link by, I think he's like a VP of product at Shopify now. His name is Brandon Chu. And it's, it's basically a post about like all the product mistakes that you can make and that like he's made in his career when designing things certain ways and getting like a, a particular idea in his head. And like reading a post like that and understanding that context is like really useful for say like going and answering a product sense question in an interview. Because I think one of the things that commonly happens in product sense questions that candidates will screw up. So this is like another mistake thing on a specific interview type is people will just say like, oh, you want me to design a feature for X? Okay, like here's the feature I would do. And I'm super excited about it because if I were using product X, like that's what I would like. And the reality is the interviewer might be like, well, you're not our core user group or you're not our target user or you represent you know, power users, which is like 2% and we're really focused on the casual users. So like, it, they miss this whole like aspect of the question, which is like, you need to first understand who are the users and what are their pain points. You can't just jump into what you want to build. And a post like Brandon's post on, I forget what the title of it is, but basically it goes sort of, he illustrates that mistake he made about just getting too attached to his own idea and sort of like, you know, ramrodding it through the process versus what did, you know, what did the users, what do the customers really want? And so there's a lot of great writing out there like that. Um, and I think that stuff is really useful to, to know. And like, same thing, you know, on like analytics and metrics, like I can think about a really good post again, that I can send you the link to written by someone that ran a lot of experiments at Airbnb. And it's just a really great post that goes into all the things that like can go wrong, things that you can see in the numbers that then like lead you down the wrong path and like how to be rigorous and analytical about making sure you're drawing the right conclusions from an experiment. And in my mind, that's a great post to read because experiments come up a lot in product management interviews. Like how would you run an experiment for this? How might you design it? That type of stuff. And like I would, you know, that post is like a really good primer for, you know, thinking about those issues correctly when it comes time to answer those type of questions in an interview. Pivot into, um, you know, the application process. Um, what are some ways to um, kind of increase your chance of, um, you know, passing the resume screening process? Um, does, you know, referral or connecting with a recruiter help with that? So the short answer is that referrals definitely help a lot. Um, in fact, I think they're like so helpful that some companies have now taken a particular, you know, they've looked at it and said like, are we biasing our process to just whoever can get a referral? So Facebook, for example, with their APM program this year said, we're no longer going to take referrals. Um, that said, for all the other programs that still take referrals, referrals are helpful. It's just like, especially these days, there's so much interest in breaking into these roles. Recruiters have so many resumes flooding in and the reality is a lot of the, you know, based on the resume alone, a lot of people are going to look good and they just don't have time to talk to everyone. Um, so a referral will certainly help. If you can get a referral, take it for sure. Um, I think the other thing that is like the probably most overlooked part of the product management resume process and how do you stand out is product management is a weird job, right? It's like a job of many hats. You know, if you're an engineer, you're an engineer, you're going to focus on that particular aspect of the role. If you're a product marketer, you're going to focus on marketing. 
if you're the designer, you're going to be like working in the UI and the user experience, et cetera. They're all more siloed. Product manager is the only role in like the core software team that's like this person whose like head is on a swivel trying to think about everything. And so if you think about put yourself in a hiring manager's shoes, put yourself in a recruiter's shoes, especially when you're recruiting for undergrad, you're looking for new PMs, people that have never been PMs before. So they can't say, look, I can do this job because I did it before at a very similar company. You're saying, look, I can do this job, I swear, but I have nothing really, I don't have anything formally on my resume that indicates I can. The way I think about it is the closest thing that can show that you can do that weird mishmash of skills that a PM needs is to say, I've taken some idea from concept to fruition before, because that's the only thing that really forces you to think about, okay, well, if it's like an idea and then we need to build it, um, and then there's going to be all sorts of decisions about how to build and what to build and what to leave off. And then at some point, you know, there's going to be some design decisions. How designed is it? Is it, you know, beautifully designed? Is it very bare bones? What works and why did you make those decisions and why? And then lastly, like assuming you've actually got some customers to use it, there was some sort of marketing and distribution and sales process you went through. Even if the process was only like, I built this thing and I'm going to send the link to like 50 friends. Or, you know, like you with this podcast, you're going to go, you know, put it into some different Facebook groups and Slack channels and say like, hey, I recorded this podcast. I'd love if you check it out. That's distribution, right? You're, you're thinking about how to do it, do that. And so it's the best way to prove that you've gone through all those steps and that you've like, I, I, I call it like traversing the spectrum, like from idea all the way to in customers' hands. And if you can put some experiences like that on your resume that you've done, those always stick out to me, especially if I'm hiring for someone that hasn't been a PM before, if they show me, and it doesn't have to be software. Of course, it's great if it's software, but if it's someone like, you know, I thought there was a real opportunity to like start a new club on campus because there was this unmet need. So I got a few friends together. We started this club. We marketed it at like the student union. And then, you know, we got 50 kids to join and we had 10 events like, I'm like, that's great that, that you've, you've gone through that process. That is like compelling. Um, and it, it, like I said, you know, that example is know what you don't need any software experience to do that. So I, I know some of the companies like Facebook and Lyft, I think, um, have, you know, those prompts in the application. How important are those? Yeah. I mean, I the, like the bottom line is those are important. Like they want to see, you know, what, it's like the same thing in an interview, right? Like those questions come up in the interview because they want to see like what what has this person accomplished and like what do they point to as as their biggest accomplishment? And, you know, is that something that like captures our interest in something where like, yeah, like we would love to hire someone like that. And like the reality is, again, like especially Facebook, they're going to have however many tens of thousands of applicants they have. Um, so there's going to be a lot of people with great achievements. But like, yeah, that that type of stuff is important. Um, and if you think about it, right, it's one of the few places where you as like smart applicant, but amongst a sea of other smart applicants can set yourself apart. Because like, think about like from Facebook's perspective, you know, if you're applying, you're, you're at a great school, like Berkeley's a great school, there's no doubt about that. You, you've got like, I forget if you have like CS, if you're a CS major, right? Um, so you got CS on your resume, like that's great. But like, how do they compare you against like, 
Um, you know, Sally, who's at Stanford and she's a CS major as well. And like, you guys have similar GPAs, right? Like you look this, like on the surface, it's like, yeah, they're both smart. They're based off the resume they probably both do it. So like these questions where it's like, give, gives you a chance to really differentiate yourself, show a little bit like why you're ne- unique, what you've accomplished, the details around it. Um, it's definitely a way to stand out. So like, should people apply to a bunch of different companies at once or focus on just like, let's say five or 10 organizations? I, I think it's somewhere around the five to 10, just because there is so much competition that like, you know, it's really would not be advisable if you're dead set on it to like apply to like the one or two places you really want to go because, you know, there's just a lot of noise and competition. Um, I think, you know, where, where it can get to be like a real struggle is if someone's trying to apply to like 40 or 50 and then they just spread themselves too thin and they can't really do a good job on any individual one. So some sort of like happy medium, maybe it's like 10, maybe it's 15, maybe it is five, but something in that range, I think feels right where you can, can be, you know, like you said, like some of these processes, like you have to do a lot of work. you got to answer these questions. It takes time to think about it, present yourself well it's going to be really hard to just do that across like, you know, 40 companies. So, you know, PM jobs are competitive. Are there any other positions that people should consider as stepping stones? Yes, totally. I mean, the really good news about product management, and if you are interested in getting into it as a career, is because of some of the the weird things I was describing earlier, right? Like it's a job of many hats, you have to span the spectrum. It means that there's a lot of different skills that are relevant to being a good PM. So you could be someone that is incredibly technical. And then when you step into a PM role, like one of the things you bring to that team is you're a a person that like gets the product side, but you also like really connect well with engineering and you may actually have good technical insights to draw the, drive the product forward, et cetera. That's great. But there's plenty of other ways too. So it's like you, maybe you come from like the sales side and you really understand what customers need like you've just built this like deep intuition of it, but you're interested in building product, you can use that knowledge to, again, set yourself apart as a candidate that really brings something special to the table. It's like, hey, I may not have a CS background, but like I've worked at a similar company on the sales side and like I know what your customers need and the features they need because like I've had conversations with them years, like day in, day out. And I just like understand that stuff intuitively at this point. That can be hugely valuable. And that can happen on a bunch of different angles, right? Like the sales side, like using that pitch as a way into PM probably will work better at companies where sales are really important for moving product, like big enterprise companies. And then if you think about like a classic um, B2C company that's selling like directly to consumers through marketing, relying on like the strength of the product and like the product being like, very well designed and super easy to use. Like you could imagine that being a designer first and learning that and then using that to transition into product management could set you up really well to be successful in a product manager role at that type of company. So there's a bunch of different ways in. Like I've seen people move into product management from engineering, of course, from product marketing, from biz dev, from customer support, um, from sales. I even know some people that have moved in from legal um, that's maybe less common. Uh, but I think the, the way I would describe it, if, if, if you were focused on this as like a role as a stepping stone into product management, find a role where you get to interact with the product manager, him or her 
on some decent basis and have a way to see, understand and watch the work they do firsthand and potentially even help out on top of your own job and get some experience building that and like sort of raise your hand and say like, yeah, I'm interested in doing X and Y and helping out because then when it comes time to hire the next product manager and they're like, oh, hey, like Thomas was here and like he helped on like that user segmentation product or project and did like a really good job. Like, you know, that's really important for this role. Maybe we should consider or ask him if he's interested and then like you might get a shot at that job before they go recruit externally or something like that. Great. Um, I'll wrap it up here quickly with the lightning round um, where I ask the same question to everyone. Um, okay. What's your favorite consumer facing product? I mean, the product that I've used for probably 10, at least 10 years at this point that I still love and open multiple times a day is Twitter. And, you know, um, it just has been able to have for me, like the staying power where there's a really great community on it there, as opposed to the other social networks where I feel like the conversation tends to be more just like marketing or, you know, pushing a certain message, like on LinkedIn, I feel like there really is still true engagement and discussion of some interesting ideas on Twitter. Of course, there's some people that are just marketing as well, but because of that, and because like, there are some people that are just like, you know, like people that are at the top of their industry on Twitter that are just like engaging with other like random people, I think makes it a very fun and dynamic environment. Um, and for that reason, it's, it's probably still my favorite. Great. Um, what's one of your short-term or long-term goals? Um, one of the long-term goals is I spend a lot of time sailing. I like to sail a lot. And one of my friends and I that also enjoy sailing have talked about maybe that we would um, try and sail across the Atlantic at some point. That's awesome. Um, what gets you excited these days? Um, lots of different things get me excited, but uh, one of the things that's newer and has been a lot of fun is I have a new, a relatively new six-month-old son at home, Charlie. And so, uh, you know, work all day, but when he gets back from um, his, his daycare nanny share setup, like getting to spend a couple hours with him before he goes to sleep is uh, it's about as good as it gets. What mediocre superpower do you wish to have? <laughs> what mediocre superpower? Um, and and for, for me personally, I always say, well, some people will argue it's not a mediocre superpower, is to um, sleep for like two to three hours every day and get fully rested both mentally and physically. Oh, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see what you mean by mediocre superpower, yeah. not like a true superpower. Uh, so the, the one I would like then is actually also related to sleep. I've, I have never and still am not a morning person. So if, if I can drag myself out of bed at like 6am, I will have like my 6am to like 8am hours are like very productive. And I feel like I can really focus and do good work, but I just like, don't like getting out of bed that early. So, but like, I wish I, yeah. <laughs> I wish I liked it because I feel like I would be way more productive. So like if I could magically like turn myself into a morning person, that would be pretty great. Great, great. Um, uh, that would be the end of the episode. Uh, before you sign off, where can our listeners connect with you on the internet? Awesome. So they can connect with me on Twitter. I'm just, it's my last name, Kivestu, uh, or they're happy to, you know, add me or follow me on LinkedIn as well. My name is Kenton Kivestu. And then of course, um, at our website, rocketblocks.me. Um, they can check out all of the interview prep products we've got there. And all the, there's like a bunch of blogs and free getting started guides as well. 
Great.、Um, for the ones listening, thank you so much for tuning in.、Uh, the books and resources mentioned in the episode will be attached in the show notes on the landing page. Feel free to check it out, subscribe, or leave a comment so that I can improve and produce better content for you. All right, listeners, thank you so much. See you next time.